You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Christ is offered once for all for the forgiveness of sins. If you tune me out for the rest of the day, Christ is offered once for all for the forgiveness of your sins. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Don't tune me out. We got stuff to talk about, but that's good news. That is like the reason we're gathered here is because Christ has offered himself once for all. He has settled the old battle with sin and captivity and isolation and darkness. He has fractured the entire, the entire balance of power. There is no balance of power anymore. Christ is risen and our sins have been forgiven because of his work once for all on the cross for us. And that forgiveness of sins is not offered just to people who sit next to you, but offered to you. Today, this morning, you can respond to the forgiveness of sins that Jesus has won for you. It is good to worship with you this morning, and we're right in the middle, toward the end. Do you remember a time in which we were not studying Hebrews? I was trying to think back how long we've been studying Hebrews. This series has gone on so long, and it's good, it's wonderful, and we're finally in this ninth chapter, starting in verse 24 which picks off right where we left off last week. We were exploring the temple together. We were talking about what, how Jesus is the new temple. He is the great high priest. He is even the sacrifice that's offered for us to forgive the sins of the world. That is Jesus. And we saw that last week. We heard that he passed through the greater and perfect tent into the heavenly realm with God the Father. Christians believe some amazing stuff. That a human being named Jesus Christ, is now in the presence of the Holy Trinity beside God the Father in heaven. Humanity has been taken up into the life of God. How amazing is that? And Christ, like the high priest, who would enter into that whole place, holy place for us, who would take our humanity with him into that holy place, would come out once for all and settle the sin of the entire world that had all been dealt with in his cross, settled in his resurrection. And now he is in power, ascended to the right hand of God, the father, gathering up and governing and directing all of human history as you know it to this one and perfect end in which we are with God, we are his people and he is with us. That's the picture we have. And that's kind of where Hebrews is heading. If there's this like picture on the hill that we're all looking for as we drive on the Hebrews bus, it is that picture of a reconciled humanity, a new heavens, a new earth, us dwelling with God as his people. And I think what we have here are two events, even in this passage, that totally determine this trip that we're on together. Two events that set the course to this vision that we have in Christ for us, for our own lives. The atonement of sin by Jesus on the cross, which I've now covered like nine times in the first three minutes of this sermon. On the one end, we have the atonement of Jesus on the cross and who's returning again for those, did you recognize this? Those who are eagerly waiting for him, did you recognize that? And so we have, on the one hand, Jesus' work on the cross that has settled all of that for us, forgiveness of sins offered to us, and also us, on the other hand, anticipating him returning again. Those who are eagerly waiting for him, those two things, those two 
um, moments in our lives that kind of like aren't our story but have become our story are the most governing factors now of our life's story. If I took a poll in this room and asked you, what is the most significant two events in your life that define who you are? You would not say, well, the atoning death of Jesus Christ and his coming again, which I'm awaiting for, right? We wouldn't say that. Most, maybe some of you who get an A in Sunday school would say that, um, but, but none of us would say that. We would say things like a birth of a child, perhaps, and not that these things aren't significant. These are wonderful things. A birth of a child, graduation day, a wedding, a death of a loved one, some sort of career arrival, some, some like winning that you've had in your career success. We would name these events in our lives as the defining moments. If you really want to get to know who I am, you have to see these moments. They have to be in view. I doubt any of us would bring up the cross, nor would any of us bring up this event that's yet to happen, which is a more of a defining moment in our life than maybe anything else, the return of Jesus, his returning again for us. And yet these two are probably the most significant, most overpowering, most glorious points of our story as the people of God, right? That's how important these events are. That's what I wanna look at this morning and talk about and think about this together with you. If you have your Bibles or your scripture journals that we've been using, we're in Hebrews chapter nine, beginning in verse 24. I wanna read verse 24 for us just to catch us up. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with human hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Now we, I know we covered, this is like familiar ground and you guys are kind of like, well, maybe we already covered this. We don't have to look at it this week. Let me just touch on this real quick because I want to unpack a very particular piece of this. Christ has entered into heaven itself. We've all read this a million times. This defining event that Christians are all supposed to say, yes, this is a huge event for my life that Christ has entered into heaven itself. What does that really mean? The human Jesus with teeth and with hair with an odor of like a human being who breathes with lungs. Like if I was to bring Stephen Hebert up here and like show you this is a human being, like the stuff, physical, material, Jesus, not Stephen, but Jesus has entered into this heavenly place. There's a human in the Holy Trinity. Scripture says, and he did all of that on our behalf. So this isn't, in other words, just some cool story that Christians believe that's happening out there, but this is a story that has totally captivated you. Whether you recognize it or not, as a Christian, this defines who you are. That Christ on your behalf, on your behalf, has taken your humanity into the presence of God. And not only, not only is he like us as human beings, but he's taken the human condition upon himself and into the presence of God. And he appears in the presence of God on our behalf, still working for our good, whispering into the ear of the Father, intercessory prayer for us. Father, look at your children. Here's what they need. Remember your children. Together, the Trinity guiding the course of history on our behalf and for our good. Romans 8 verse 34 tells us, that Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us, advocating 
is another great word to help us imagine what's going on. Advocating to the Father for us, calling his attention to our needs and working for our good. Even now, folks, I don't know how to like rattle us a little bit, but right now, this human Jesus is advocating for your needs to the Father in heaven. Everything that's on your own conscious, everything that keeps you up at night, the stuff that you're worried about that you have to figure out, that no one else is gonna help you do, but like, I gotta, t- I gotta take this on myself. I gotta make this happen. Do you know that Jesus loves you so much that he's actually interceding for you with the Father, working for your good? Even now, like right now. That's like mind-bending to me. What is he praying to the Father for you about? That you think, oh, he doesn't know about that. What is the Lord saying to the Father that you couldn't even put words to that maybe you don't even know you need? And isn't it funny that, or interesting at least, or just full of grace, that even if you, right in this moment, do not like Jesus, or don't like Christians, or don't consider yourself a Christian, you're like, ugh, to all of this stuff, I don't know about all this, Jesus is still interceding for your good. Even when we turn away from him and we decide for a moment to like, shed the Christian skin and do things our way, or, you know, we have those moments. Even when we depart from his love and mercy out of grace, Jesus is still speaking to the Father for us out of love, interceding on our behalf, always. We don't have any greater connections than this. We don't have someone more on the inside of power than this. There's nothing that money can buy that would give us the kind of access to the Father that Jesus alone can give to us. This, friends, is the best thing that you have going for you right now. You have a man on the inside who loves you so much and is interceding for you. You may this morning have no money. Maybe you've been abused in your past. Maybe you have like literally no friends. You're sitting here going, I have no friends. Or you feel like you have no friends. Or maybe you suffer from depression or anxiety. Maybe you're like, life's going actually really well. You're super successful. You're good looking. Heck, you got a ton of friends. Look at my Facebook feed. Maybe things are just like going super well for you. Maybe you are somewhere in between No matter where you are, the best thing that you have going for you is one who loves you enough to lay down his life for you and to continue even now to speak up for your needs and to guide your life if you'll cooperate with him, working for your good with the Father. As as dark as the pit is in your life or as high as the mountaintop is in your life, it's all kind of irrelevant because you have one who loves you, who's speaking up for you and advocating for you. And that's not to diminish any of those things that we struggle with. And that's not even to diminish any of the wonderful victories that we have in life, but it's all to put those in context of those are not the things that ultimately determine who we are or our future. Those are serious and wonderful things or serious and really difficult things that we still have to engage and be present to. But all of that is now put under, subjected to this really wonderful news that Jesus is speaking up for you, that he loves you and that he's working for your good. That's hope. Isn't that serious hope? That is hope. You have someone on the inside 
in the most powerful office in the world, speaking up for you. Can you imagine if you knew someone? I don't know. I, don't, I mean, where's the most powerful office in the world these days? Who knows? Can you imagine knowing someone on the inside there? You have that person, that direct path to God. And I think that some of us, when we hear this, we think, that's great. But you know what I bet that Jesus is actually talking to God about right now? He's talking about all my dirt. And he's saying, we need to fix this. Like, show me where the paddle is, and I'll go give him a walloping. Like, that. This person's gonna need some correcting, right? We have this image of God in which we think he is pissed at us. He's so angry at us and he's gonna come after us and straighten our lives out. I don't want Jesus advocating for me. He doesn't know what I need and God's angry at me. Friends, can I just like, maybe you just need to take my word for it, but can I just tell you anywhere in scripture that you read about Jesus and the words that he's actually saying and not what we, what we tend to think he's saying. Can I just tell you, God, God loves you. He's not against you. But the reason he's advocating for you is because he's actually for you, working for your good. And nothing in your life, no past wound, no future success, Nothing in your life is as significant as God's love for you, not just in theory, but actually embodied in the person of Jesus who's present to the Father and going to bat for you again and again, even now. All right, I think I've like beat a dead horse with that. I just need you all to know that. Jesus is for you and he's speaking up for you. Check out verse 28. I wanna look at this together. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Not to deal with sin, will he come a second time, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. You may have no retirement plan set up in your life right now, uh, or perhaps you don't know what you're gonna do with your life, what you want to do with your life, or like, Maybe you're not sure how this is all going to turn out, the kind of person that you will become. You may have a ton of questions about where this is all heading in the future. And that's fine. That's part of the excitement of life is discovering some of that. But one thing we don't have to discover, one thing that's not up for grabs, one thing that's actually totally settled for us is that Christ is coming back for his children. Those who are eagerly waiting for him, Christ is coming back. And so even if you're having a hard time even believing who Jesus is now, don't worry. You're going to see him face to face gathering up his people. And that image is going to be so beautiful. That reality is going to be something that all of humanity all over the, across the earth throughout history is going to say, this is what we've been longing for, to be gathered up into the folds of God, to be gathered up to Christ. What would it look like friends, to save up for that future? What would it look like to take our 401ks or IRAs and like all of our retirement plans and actually plan for that future instead of just being fat, happy, and wealthy or whatever? What would it look like to actually be a Christian now with all that God's given us now and anticipate that future that is more certain than anything else we can plan for in our lives? That takes some serious faith, doesn't it? What does it look like to prepare our lives and our neighbors' lives and our neighborhoods for that future, to anticipate it, 
What might change this morning in our priorities, in our life strategy, in the things we worry about that keep us up at night? If you decided to live eager to greet the Lord and less worried about how well your life is gonna go. What would change even now? Friends, we have as Christians this great determining factor, this event that's coming to meet us that is more significant as a feature of our story than anything else. This is salvation, what we're talking about. Being gathered up to Christ who makes all things right. This is the hope we have. And it's not some like religious rhetoric, kind of platitude, make you feel good, placebo effect thing, where all of these people march around and like say the right things that we all feel good about ourselves. And uh, like religion's a crutch for people who don't actually know how to get, the, get along with their life well. That, that's not what this is for us. But it's an actual concrete hope that we have. And not just something that's in the future, but it's something once for all that's been settled. Because Christ is raised from the dead, we have an assurance that what comes to meet us in the future is more of that resurrection. He's going to resurrect us, that we would be with him and he with us. This isn't some fantasy or myth. And it's not some event in our lives that has determined who we are or where we will become. There's not some event or thing that happens to us that will change the outcome of that future for us. We have... Christ crucified and risen and returning that stamps and seals our identities and our future. That's who we are. We stand together in just a few minutes. We stand together and we announce this together. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Memorial acclamation that we say Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. This is an act of defiance, saying this out loud together as a community in South Austin, saying this is not only the gospel, but this is our story. This is who we are. Do we really believe that Christ has died? A lot of us got that. That Christ is risen. We party pretty well on Easter. I think we get that. Do we really believe that he's coming again? And if we do, how would that change our lives now? We are a people determined by that coming again story of Jesus to live now in light of his returning for us. And we're about to head into Advent where all we hear about is not only the coming of the Christ child, but also the coming of Christ at the end of the age to make all things right and to complete God's goodwill for all of creation. This morning, as we come to the altar, we have this meal that we eat together that is totally and utterly based on this reality that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and that Christ will come again. This meal is unlike any other meal that you've ever participated in, in that it's pointing at something that has happened in the past, but is realized as something in the, in the present where Christ is present with us. But it is also a meal that has been rushed from the future, that banquet table that we will have at the end of the age when Christ has come and settled all things and reconciled all things. The meal that we have then is like Uber deliveried, don't they do that, is brought to us, is relayed to us even now at the table. This meal is a collapse of space and time. It's a trip, but it is a meal that participates in Christ's death, his presence, his death and resurrection, his presence with us and his coming again. This meal is offered to us as a sacrifice once for all that we continually are invited to come back and feed on because it has to be something internalized in us that marks our story 
that marks who we are. I know that um, coming forward and receiving this meal and putting our hands forward and saying, uh, and receiving the body of Christ and drinking the, the blood of Christ may be for some of us an, a leap of the imagination, a bit of a stretch. Um, what that feeling is, is faith, is an invitation to faith and to say, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I, I don't totally see this, but I wanna see this. Help my life be marked by this great mystery of your death, resurrection, your ascension, and even your coming again for us. So as we come to the table in just a few minutes, this is the mystery that I'm inviting you to commune with, this, this mystery in which we are brought into the fold, into the life of Christ, marked as his own kids forever, and now anticipate this future of him coming again. This is a meal of love, friends, of something that Christ has won for us and week after week continues to give to us. So let's come with eager hearts and prepare our hearts even now by taking a moment of silence and asking the Holy Spirit to speak to us. You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.